0: Hey, welcome to Victory Church. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us, as Zoe and Brian have said, welcome. We're so glad to have you here, especially those that have come today for the water baptisms. Uh, Just welcome. We want to do our best to get you connected. And so, as they said, if you're visiting, do us a favor and fill out that information so that we can connect with you, and just do our best in helping you take your next step. I always try to take a moment and kind of let you know what we're doing, both in the community and outside of the community inside the community, inside this building and outside of the community, outside in the community, uh, through our finances, through those that are giving every month. And we want to say thank you, but I want to take this time over the next couple weeks and really focus in on what we do with at the movies. These next couple of weeks, next Sunday and the Sunday after that, in the messages, I'm going to share a little bit of our vision of what we're focusing on the rest of this year and into next year, just to give you an idea of what we're looking ahead towards and what we're working on. But also keeping to remind you that in October, the whole purpose of the series is for you to bring friends, family members, people who don't know Jesus, people who normally want to go to church and get them in here because it's unique. It's fun. As they said, popcorn, movie clips. Uh, we're going to get real basic on the gospel and be able to allow people to be, you know, give their heart to Jesus, salvation. It's just going to be a great few weeks. And so I want to really encourage you. I know they've already said it, but take those handouts. We'll have social media stuff that you can share. And just do your best at bringing people that are in your family, that are lost, that don't know Jesus, to something like this. This is why we do it. That's, that's basically what I'm trying to say, is that we don't do this. Because we have, you know, because I don't know what else to preach. We, we don't do this because we've got money we want to throw away. We do this because we really want to bring people in the door that may not know Jesus or may not go to church and they're able to come in because that's interesting to them and then they stay and their lives are changed. Amen? Amen. So do us a favor and, and do your best at sharing about what's happening in October. Uh, we're beginning a brand new series today. We just finished our series, Pray First. We move into a series today called Changed Lives change lives and it's really not only going to help us see people who interacted with Jesus and how their lives were transformed but it's going to remind us how you and i can take our transformed life and go out amongst our coworkers our friends and families and we can uh, see impact in their lives based off of what god's done in ours so if you got your bibles turn to mark chapter 14 each sunday we'll kind of be going to a different story where somebody interacted with jesus and today we're going to look at a woman who after she interacted with jesus multiple lives were changed and According to one scripture in this, the world was changed forever. Mark chapter 14, verse 3 is where we're going to start reading. It says, while he, he being Jesus, was in Bethany, he was reclining at the table. That means they were eating, so reclining at the table, in the home of Simon the leper. So Jesus and some of his people are in the home of Simon the leper. They're having a dinner party to celebrate the greatness of Jesus, what he's done, what he's about to do on the cross, and so on. says, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. The perfume was made of pure nard. She broke the jar and she poured the perfume on Jesus's head. Bible goes on to say some of those who were present were saying indignantly, in other words, with anger to one another, why? Why this waste of perfume? Matter of fact, this perfume could have been sold for more than a year's wages, and then we could have taken that money, and we could have given it to the poor. All of a sudden, Jesus begins to rebuke them, and he says, hey, leave her alone. He says, why are you bothering her? She's done this beautiful thing to me. And then he kind of gives us a perspective shift. He says, the poor, you're going to always have with you. There there will always be opportunity for you to sell something that you have and give that money to the poor. But me, you won't always have. You will not always. So you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. He goes on to say, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. And this is the verse I was talking about. He says, truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I want to talk to you just for a moment today from the idea, don't dab on Jesus. All right. Now, this is not your traditional dab we're talking about here. You're going to see where we're going with this. But the idea that you and I cannot dab on Jesus. Jesus. A couple of Sundays ago, uh, the first service was over and I went out to the lobby to, to hang out with everybody and uh, I got to talking to a, a young lady who it was her first time here and I kind of have some questions I'll, I like to ask, you know, how did you like it? Did, you know, is there anything that we can do for you? Any questions we can answer? Because I want people to, <clears throat> you know, feel as comfortable as they can and she, she, we talked for a little bit and then she goes, i tell you what, she goes, you sure are passionate and you know, I kind of smile. She goes, I love your passion. And we talked some more, than she left. And I started thinking about it, you know, a little bit later. And I was like, you know, it's, it's something I've always been. Like, I, there's not really an explanation for it. I, I've always had passion, especially when it comes to preaching the Word of God. Like, you can go all the way back to when Donna and I were starting in ministry, and we were teaching fifth and sixth graders. And, you know, I was screaming at them then. <clears throat> and then you go into youth ministry and then into adult ministry. And this is just, it's just who I am. Now, <clears throat> I was thinking about this. My passion has got me in trouble a couple of times. You know, I'll get up here and get passionate and say something I probably shouldn't have said, you know, off off the, uh, off the, the work or, or I, there's been times where I got really passionate and I- Trying to put, trying to use red colored water to clean this dirty uh, glass window to explain how the blood of Jesus cleans off our sins. And I got all passionate and I went to throw it and I missed it and I drenched our uh, piano player in the process. Um, you know, I've done, I've got stories like this galore of just stuff I did because I was passionate. And I think some of my passion is because I believe what I say. Like, I, don't, I don't think that I'm up here just relaying information to you or this is something somebody else wrote that I'm just passing it on to you. Like, I believe what I'm saying. I believe God is good. I be- believe this gospel is life changing. I believe in his grace and his mercy. And, and I think the other side of it is God has done so much in my life. And so it's real easy for me to get passionate and to scream and to yell and to get fired up because I've actually seen God move in my life. I've stepped out in faith with my family and watched God provide as we move and build a church. I've watched us, I've watched myself pray and fast over a building and God provide. I've seen moments where I wondered if God would ever show up, and He did. I've seen His faithfulness, I've seen His love, I've seen His mercy. I believe He's walking with me and talking with me. I believe He's hearing me. I believe that He's drawing near me when I'm brokenhearted. I believe it. And so when I talk about it, I got to get passionate. You know what I mean? Meanwhile, our enemy and our culture would like to minimize our spiritual passion. Our enemy and our culture would, would probably say things like this if they could. They say, it's okay. You, you can believe in Jesus. You can have your faith. You can have your prayer time. Just, just keep it to yourself. Keep, 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 it, keep it out of our business. You know what I mean? Don't, don't push it on us. You don't, don't, don't affect us. That, that's fine. You can believe like you believe, but just, just keep it over there. <laughs> keep it down. And the reason for this, if we were honest, is because things like passion and excitement and commitment and sacrifice, these things draw attention. And the enemy knows that. Culture knows that. That anytime somebody becomes passionate about Jesus, anytime somebody gets excited about Jesus, sacrifices for Jesus, makes commitments to Jesus, it's going to draw attention, it's just the way we, you and I are wired that anytime passion erupts, it gets our attention. If we can be at a restaurant and if there's a ball game on, and all of a sudden somebody jumps up because their team scores a touchdown, they cheer and it's passion. We look what's going on over there, it draws our attention. Same way if you're at a restaurant and somebody has a bad meal and they start yelling at the waiter or waitress, they start yelling at the manager and all of a sudden that passion rises, you look what's going on over there. It just draws our attention. Anytime we find somebody who's making crazy commitments, right? Somebody who's making crazy sacrifices. Anytime we see something like this, it draws our attention. And the enemy knows that. And he knows that if we will show excitement, passion, sacrifice, and commitment towards God, towards Jesus, towards the movement of the church, that people are going to notice. It's going to catch their attention. You see, the good news of the gospel and the right perspective of God produces passion. When we understand the gospel, I talk to people all the time after services, Who, however they were raised, depending on how they were raised, for a while in their life, they had a misunderstanding of the gospel. And it was way more religion and way more law and way more condemnation than it was mercy, love, freedom, and grace. And so when we know the true good news of the gospel and when we have a right perspective of God, we can't help but have it marinate and produce in us a passion because God is so good, because God has done something great in my life, because once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I was dead, but now I'm alive. Once I was a slave, but now I'm free. I got to tell somebody about it. I'm excited about it because it's good news. Amen. But naturally, the worries of the world, the pressure of life, and then watch this, the monotony of religion causes us to lose our passion. Once again, I was talking to somebody after first service, and they were talking about how there was a time in their life where they had fallen away from God. They're now back and passionate about God, and what they said kind of, it was, it was to it was be relatable to the idea of just the monotony, just kind of going through the motions and just kind of going to church and going through it. And, and over time, that just kind of dies out and the passion that we once had dies down. And it's easy to lose our passion. And I want to challenge you this morning that it's that passion inside of us about God that actually will begin to leak onto to other people and our change life starts to change lives. I want to I challenge you not to allow your spiritual passion to be minimized, but to maximize it. So let's go back to Mark chapter 14 for a minute. There's dinner going on for Jesus. And there's a handful of people in the room. In the room are the disciples. I don't have time to talk about all of the disciples. And so we're going to focus specifically on Matthew. So Matthew is in the room. Matthew was a tax collector. To give you an idea, tax collectors were hated in culture in that time. Not not much different than today, but they were really hated in that time because there was a lot of history to it. To give you an idea what a tax collector would do is not only would, would, so you'd have this this government situation, where they would come in and take so much money but they would employ somebody in the town and the town people who you knew, someone who was in your family, someone who you hung out with would be the one responsible for collecting funds from you. But when they would collect the funds, they would collect more than you owe so they could put some in their pocket. And so they became these these hated people to the point to where they were actually categorized separately than sinners. They're actually categorized worse than sinners. There, there are times in scripture where people were talking about Jesus and they say he eats with sinners and tax collectors. <laughs> could, could you imagine being like the, this is all the sinners in the world and then the really bad people over here, right? Like the tax collectors. So he was he was hated. He was hateful. But Matthew had had an interaction with Jesus and now this hated and hateful person was saved and changed And he became a disciple of Jesus. Also in the room is Simon. It was actually Simon's house. Simon was a leper. Leper means that he had a disease called leprosy. Leprosy at the time was by far the worst disease of their culture. Uh, It would give you boils. It would give you open wounds. You would lose extremities. You would eventually die. And it was extremely contagious. And so not only were you kind of labeled a sick person, but when you entered a room, when when you were, I think it's about 60 to 100 feet of a person, you had to scream out, I'm a leper. You had to let people know that there was something wrong with you. These these people were so ostracized. They couldn't stay in their own home. They couldn't stay with their spouse. They couldn't raise their own kids. And so when someone got leprosy, their entire life was upside down. They they were sick sick and eventually going to die and they were ostracized and so simon was one of these guys but then he meets jesus and this man who was ostracized and sick is now healed and changed by jesus now he's having jesus over to his house for a party so matthew's in the room and simon's in the room watch this lazarus is in the room lazarus was dead don't know if you know the story, but Lazarus, who Jesus loved, gets sick. And Mary and Martha, his sisters, called, they reach out. I'm not sure how they got a hold of Jesus through messenger to Jesus and said, uh, you know, hey, the man you love is sick. Lazarus is sick and you need to get here. You need to heal him. And Jesus waits. And of course, he dies. And for four days, Lazarus is dead. And Jesus shows up on the scene and raises him from the dead. So a man who was dead and buried meets Jesus and now he's resurrected and he's changed and he's in the room. So back up a little bit. In the room is Matthew, the sinner who was saved. In the room is Simon, the leper who was healed. In the room is Lazarus the dead who was resurrected. So in this house was a sinner that Jesus saved, a sick person that Jesus healed, and a dead person that Jesus resurrected from the grave. That, that's, it's, 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 it's a museum. It's a hall of fame of all of the good things that God's done. It, it's an illustration of God's power. It's literally, watch this, a house that is a testimony to the goodness of God. It's a house that's screaming how great God is. It's screaming the love of God and the mercy of God. It's screaming that Jesus is greater than sin. Jesus is greater than sickness. And Jesus is greater than the grave. This is what the house is screaming. Come on, do I have anybody in here who was once lost, but now you're saved? Come on, do I have anybody in here who was once but now you're healed. Do I have anybody in here who was once spiritually dead but now you are alive? This house is a testimony. It's screaming God is good. It's screaming Jesus is powerful. It's screaming that no sin, no sickness and not even death can overcome the power of our God. And watch this. That house is a mirror reflection of this house. And this house literally screams the power of God. This house yells the goodness of Jesus Christ. And because of the testimonies of you and the testimonies of those around us, we are a reflection of the idea that Jesus is greater than sin. Jesus is greater than sickness. And Jesus is greater than the grave. And if we're not careful, we'll just come in here and we'll get caught in the monotony of religion or the monotony of a church service and we'll forget that we're a walking miracle standing surrounded by walking miracles and we were all in a moment where we were either lost but now we're saved, where we might have been saved but the whole world was falling apart around us, we were broken we didn't think we could be healed we didn't think we could be helped, we didn't think we could be restored, we were given up we were getting out and the goodness of God and the grace of God stepped into our story and it rests us and it saved us and we in this house are an example and an illustration that Jesus is greater than sin, sickness, and the grave. Amen? Amen? Amen. And then in walks Mary. Mark 14 says that a woman enters into the room and she has an alabaster jar that is full with expensive perfume and then they describe it for you. It's made of pure. It gives you the context of just how expensive this perfume is. The Bible says that she walks up to Jesus, she breaks the jar, and then she pours this perfume onto Jesus' head, his whole body, as a form of worship. Now, to us, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but in the culture of that day. It was common. It was custom. It was expected that when somebody came to your house as a guest for anything, a dinner, a party, that the person whose house we were at, that somebody was responsible for taking oil and anointing the guest with oil. It was custom. It wasn't something that certain people did. It was something that everybody did. It was common. You would have, if you were to go over to somebody's house tonight to watch football, it'd be normal for you to walk into their house and for them to meet you at the door with a generic oil substance to take it and then to anoint you with it. And that was just custom. Now, what was custom is often they would take it and they would dab you. To give you an idea of what this looks like, if you were ever back in the time, maybe you went with your grandma or your mom and you went to go look at perfume at a Sears or JCPenney's or one of those archaic stores that, you know, and you're in there and they would be getting perfume and you would come time to smell the perfume and they wouldn't pour the perfume all over you in the store. They would take it and they would just put a little dab on your wrist and you would, oh yeah, smells good, smells good. And if you bought it, they would tell you, go home, don't, don't, shh, 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 just take a little bit, just dab it. Right right behind the ears. Just dab a little bit, a little dab, just, just a little dab. You don't need a lot, just a little dab. And this is what was expected of this ritual, that when somebody came to your house for dinner, it was common, it was expected for you to take a generic oil, take it and dab them with it. You did it. First, it's just a sign of respect, honor, and anointing. You also did it because it would create a fragrance in the room. And if this person had been traveling all day, they probably didn't smell nice. And so it was just something that you did. So when Mary enters the room with the substance, nobody's caught off guard. Everybody's expecting Mary to come down, take a little bit of that oil, and dab Jesus. But watch this. Mary doesn't dab Jesus. She drenches him. There would have been nothing strange. Somebody might have said, why so expensive? But whatever. But there would have been nothing out of ordinary or out of character for her to take it, put a little bit on her hands and just, just dab Jesus. Just Just dab Jesus. But when we watch Mary, she doesn't choose to do that. She doesn't choose to dab him. She chooses to drench him. And I bring that to your attention because whatever Jesus meant to Mary, whatever Mary's story was, however she had felt that Christ had changed her life, however she felt that she had gone from sinner to saved, healed or sick to healed, lost to found, dead to alive, slave to free, whatever her story was, she felt like dabbing wasn't enough. She was so excited and moved by the power of God and the love of Jesus that in that moment she felt like that if I just take it and I dab him, it won't explain fully what he means to me. It won't express my worship. It won't catch anybody off guard. It won't draw attention. It will just be ritual and normal. She said, but that's not enough for Jesus. He's changed my life. And so instead of doing what was expected, watch this, she did something extravagant. Had she done what was expected, nobody would have even blinked an eye. But because of what she did was extravagant, we're reading about it today. Now, I know what you think. There are some people in here that go, well, that's that's just not me. You know what I mean? Like I'm an introvert. I don't. I don't do that kind of stuff. Like, like I'm passionate. I'm in it, but I'm. I'm in it like this. You know what I mean? Like I just. I'm not that person. I'm not that. I want attention on me. I'm not that person. I'm just. I'm. I'm behind the scenes. I love when people say that. I'm behind the scenes. Like I don't. But here's the truth. We are all capable of being extravagant about something. There's not a person in this room, I don't care how much you hate people, I don't care how much you hate attention, there is nobody in this room that does not have a moment where they are extravagant about something. Let let them find something. To give you an example, today is the kickoff of the National Football League. Today. And and, and you can look around this room and you would have seen it in first service too. And you can know who's extravagant about football because they're already excited about it. They got their fantasy teams. They're wearing their jerseys. And I'm talking about myself, just so we're clear. I didn't wear my jersey because my team lost Thursday night and I don't promote losers. I'm just just kidding. It's not the reason. Sorry, just a joke. Nobody called Patrick on me. My point—it may not be football for you. Some of you are like fantasy football. That's so dumb. But you're extravagant about something. Might be a book you read or a movie you watch, right? Maybe it's gardening. You know what I mean? And there's so many different things out there that we can be extravagant about. So be careful when you, when you allow yourself to kind of get off easy by going, "Well, that's just not me." We can either do what's expected or we can find ourselves in a place where we are going above and beyond and being extravagant. One of Darla's extravagant things, I guess she would say, is she loves Universal Studios. Okay, that, that's her thing. We went on our honeymoon and that's just become our thing. So we go once every year, uh, sometimes twice if she can trick me into it. And she, she does all this preparation for it. She watches videos of people who are going to Universal so that we can find out like little secret tidbits and things like that. It's crazy. It's the craziest thing. And so the first time we went, I have never seen, in case you don't know what Universal is, it's a theme park. And so there's different areas that are themed. You got like Jurassic Park themed and Dr. Seuss themed. Well, there's this area that is themed after the movies Harry Potter, okay? Okay. Now, I've never seen any of the movies, so this was kind of lost on me, but, but this is like the big attraction for Universal Studios. Like, people freak out about this. We went with some friends of ours, and the wife loved Harry Potter, and the, the, her and Darla were geeking out about it. Like, it, it's awesome. So, so you walk in, you, you, gotta, you gotta know the secret way in. That's, that's how desired this place is, that it's not even easy to get there, okay? And you gotta like secretly find your way in, and you come in, and there's this land, and it's like designed after the movie's down to the tea, and they have the stores that the people went in, and they have the food that the people ate, and it's like, it's designed after it like crazy. But here's the real, real extravagant part. The extravagant part is not even the design of the building or the food. It's the people that have come to the park that day who are in Harry Potter world. These people have like these robes on that they bought like hundreds of dollars and they're walking around in their robes and they've gone to places and they bought wands and these are like little fake sticks, you know what I mean? Because you can't bring a real stick into the park and so you go buy like a little fake stick and you can just walk around and you know, ala love boo, you know what I mean? It's like, it's their thing. And then watch this to get to get even more major. They have these uh, these um, interactive ones. So you go buy an interactive one, and there are areas throughout the park that you can go to and you can kind of stand in this moment and you do your little wave or whatever the instruction is and something magical happens. And so like, you know, the clock will move and the book will open or the water will from this fountain to that fountain. And I mean, people are everywhere you look, you're just surrounded with little people in robes running around with little sticks and they're waving everything. This is crazy. It's the craziest thing we've ever seen. But watch this. I didn't understand it. I had never seen the movie. So to me, it was extravagant. But to them, it's what was expected. It's why they were there. It wasn't weird to them, but it was weird to me. So Mary walks in. She breaks this perfume and she pours it on the head of Jesus. And then watch what verse 4 says. This is interesting to me. It says, some of those who were present, they start to say with anger to one another, why is she wasting this perfume? What's what's she doing? She could have taken that and sold it, and we could have given money to the poor. Nobody in there is trying to give money to the poor. You know what I mean? They're just saying things. Why does she do that? Keep in mind that in the room is Matthew the tax collector Simon the leper Lazarus the zombie <laughs> someone who was lost but saved someone who was sick but healed someone who was dead but they've been risen from the grave they're in the room and Mary walks in and begins to worship Jesus and wouldn't you think they'd like start amening her You know what I mean? Wouldn't you think there'd be this moment of like, you know, way to go, Mary. Couldn't you hear Matthew, the tax collector? I was a sinner too, Mary. Celebrate him. I'll shout with you, girl. I was a sinner. And now I'm saying, hallelujah. Wouldn't you think Simon the leper would be standing back going, shout him. Touch him. Touch him, Mary. I can touch him now too. Touch him, worship him, praise him. Wouldn't you think Lazarus would be in the corner going, I was four days dead and God rose me from the grave. Come on and give him a loud praise break. Couldn't you, wouldn't you think that would be the atmosphere? 10 second praise break in the room. Wouldn't you think that would be the atmosphere? And instead they're all sitting back. And they're on the sidelines and instead of celebrating her and instead of agreeing with her, they're on the sidelines calling her worship unreasonable and a waste. If she does what's expected, they don't say anything. But because she did what was extravagant, now they're judging her. See how easy it is to get comfortable? See how easy it is to forget about what God is Done in your lives? Now, when I read this, and here's my prayer and my my heart for you. When I read this, here was my thought If it can happen to them, it can happen to me. If Matthew, the sinner who was saved, and Simon, the sick man who was healed, and Lazarus the dead man who was resurrected if there can be a moment where they're in the room and instead of joining in in a testimony instead of joining in on praise if there's a moment where they can become silent and they can lose their passion if it can happen to them it can happen to me and so my prayer is God don't let me lose my passion Don't let me forget about what it meant the first time I met you. Don't let me forget about what it meant the first time I realized that I was a sinner saved by your grace. Don't let me forget about the prayers you've answered and the freedom you've given me and the way you've delivered me. Don't let me lose my passion. If it can happen to them, it can happen to me. God, don't let me be passionate about this. Watch. And then come over here and dab on Jesus. Right? Don't, don't let me be sold out to this and then come to church and dab on Jesus. Don't, don't let me pour my worship and my praise onto something over here and then walk in and just dab Jesus. My prayer for you and my prayer for me is that more than ever we would be reminded of the goodness of God. More than ever we would be celebrating the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ that in a time and an age where our culture is wanting us so bad to just do what's expected. That we would be so moved by who God is in our life that we would become extravagant. That we would be careful not to lose our passion. So we're at Universal, and we went back this past year. We went with some friends of ours. There's this particular attraction that we had never gone to. we had been going for four, five, six years, and we had never gone to this attraction. And this particular attraction is you go into this room, and there's kind of this show. And the show is they pick a kid from the audience, and they go through this whole process where the wand chooses the child. It's really cool. And so, you know, we're in there, and, and we're adults, and we're not trying to take this moment from a kid. So we're kind of standing towards the back and watching. There's this sweet little girl in the front, and the guy, the guy who's leading the whole thing, the actor, comes out, and he picks the little girl, and he brings her up to the counter, and he's got this robe on and this hat. He's, you know, he's kind of sliding around the room and, come in here and pick your wand. And he goes up behind the counter, and she comes up, and he gets this... You know, particular wand down. It's made of horse hair and all this kind of stuff. And, and she pull it out. All of a sudden, the bookshelf beside us shakes and falls down. And he goes, oh, that's not, that wand didn't choose you. Whoa, let's put it back in the box. And puts it back in the box. And he grabs another one. He gets it out. And he gives it to her. It's made of unicorn bone or something like that. And she takes it. And all of a sudden, the light goes out. And this happens. And he goes, oh, that, that wand didn't choose Let's get you another one. And then he comes around and he says, oh, this is something, something wand. It's one of the best. And if you're chosen by this, you're so special. And he's going through all this. And he opens the box. And she pulls out the wand. And as she pulls out the wand, the lights come up in the room. And this music of like, oh, comes in the room. And everybody's like, oh, my goodness, that was awesome. You know, And he's like, this wand chose you. She takes the wand and she leaves. And so it's time for the next group to come in. And we're leaving and we're in the back of the line. We're kind of getting closer to the door. And I'm like, man, I wonder if what wand chose me. And I'm just being silly, but the guy hears me. And he's like, would you like to know? I was like, whoa, bro. <laughs> yes, I do want to know. Yes. So he brings me he brings me back around the corner. And he's like, let's see. And he starts asking me questions and talking to me. Pulls out this one wand, opens it up, not touching. You know, nothing happens. He's like, no, that didn't choose you. And he gets this, goes through a couple of them. And he pulls out this wand and he starts talking about all the, when this wand chooses you, you're a leader. That's changed. I mean, he's saying all these things. And I'm like, are you a prophet? Like, I'm not really sure what's kind of, are you John the Baptist? I'm not sure what's happening right now. And, and I go and I, I pick the wand out. And sure enough, all the lights and all the, Whoa! And I'm sitting here holding it, and Darla's freaking, y'all, she got the camera. She's like, babe, it chose you. You know what I mean? I'm like, (laughs) Like, we just saw this happen. We know how this works, right? But it was cool. I really enjoyed it. And then he handed it to me, said, if you want to buy it, you can go over there and buy it. I was like, come on, man. So I wasn't going to buy it because it's expensive. And so we're walking out and I'm like, I just, can I just put it over here? Like I just laid it over here and babe's like, and Darla's like, baby, baby. Cause we were going to buy a wand for the kids anyway. She's like, we got to buy that wand. It shows you. And so what did I do? Bought the wand, right? Now, why did I tell you that story? I, I tell you that story because I went from standing in the middle of Harry Potter land going, what's wrong with these freaks? to having my own personal wand <laughs> standing in line waiting to be able to use it. You know? <laughs> because when the experience is right, you go from being somebody who was making fun of them to somebody who's experiencing it themselves. Because when Mary walks into the room and pours her worship on Jesus, it can't help but influence you because when you and I walk out of these doors and we walk in the passion that we have for Jesus, when we walk in a passion that exudes the fact that God is good and Jesus has redeemed us, people who at one point were laughing and saying, look at these people will be standing in line wondering where they can get it. It's the power of passion. Now, look, this is normally the moment, gotta be careful, because this is normally the moment where people are like, normally the pastor will kind of make a strong arm move right here to go, like, you shouldn't enjoy anything in the world if it's not of Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, like, if you're not going to church, like, don't don't listen to music, don't watch the movie, and so we walk out of here defeated. But listen, she put value in other things. She had the perfume in an alabaster jar. If she didn't value it, she'd have just had it in a a glass jar in the corner. She valued other things. Watch this. She just didn't value it more than Jesus. So it's fine for you and I to put value in things. But let's make sure that we're not valuing it more than Jesus. Amen? Let's make sure that that we are passionate, that we're not passionate about this, but over here dabbing on Jesus. Let's make sure that we can be passionate about stuff, but above all, let's be passionate about Jesus. And then Jesus went on to say in verse nine, he said, truly, I tell you, everywhere that the gospel is spoken, this woman's story will be told. And here we are, September of twenty-three sharing the gospel and telling her story. Everybody stand with me. I'm going to talk for a little bit more, just a little bit more, but I want to invite those that are getting baptized, I want to invite you to go ahead and go get ready. Some of you, you're already ready, so if you're ready, just stay where you are. We're about to see some people who will express their passion for Jesus through water baptism. That's one of those ways that you and I can express our passion. But listen to me real quick. I need to talk to you. Listen to me real quick. There's a couple different ways we need to respond this morning. Number one, you are passionate about Jesus right now. You realize God saved your life. You you gave your life to Jesus. You're living for him and you are passionate. Then here's your prayer. God, keep stoking the fire. Right? Keep, Keep putting wood on the fire. Keep making me more passionate and more hungry and more excited. Next, you might be in this room and there was a time where you were passionate about God. There was a time that every time the doors were open, you were at church. There was a time that you were doing multiple devotionals at once and driving down the street, listening to worship music. But over time, that kind of fell off. And what an opportunity for you to come back. This is your prayer. God, relight that passion. Make me passionate about you again. And then last you're in here and you've never given your life to Jesus. You don't feel like a sinner that's saved because you've never been saved. You don't feel like someone who was sick that was healed because you've never been healed. You don't feel like someone who was spiritually dead and then spiritually resurrected because you've never experienced that. You can do that today. We're so crazy. You can give your heart to Jesus today and I'll baptize you in whatever you wore to church. We'll give you Raider jerseys to go home and wear. I'm just kidding. (laughs) This is the time for us, church. This is the time. God, restoke my fire. Or, God, relight. You know, bring back that passion. Bring back that fire. Or, God... Let me be safe. Let me give my heart to you. Let it be the first time that you ever give your life to Jesus. Start it today. So do me a favor, everybody, close your eyes right now. Whichever one you are, let's just begin to make that our prayer. However it might be for you. If you're on fire right now, here's your prayer. God, come on, continue to stoke it. Continue to put wood on the, continue to make me passionate about you. Help me know how to show that passion. If you're in this place and that passion has kind of died off, then here's your prayer. Father, would you relight that passion in my life? Take me back to what it was like when I first met you. If You're in here and you've never given your heart to Jesus. Here's your prayer. Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner. And I believe that you died on the cross to save me from my sins. so come into my heart be my Lord be my Savior and with that comes passion the passion of a changed life changes life